Praise the Lord, Tree of Life Church, and welcome to a night of Bible study. We're going to look into the Word of the Lord tonight. We thank you for tuning in and for being a part of this evening's uh, sharing of the Word of God. Um, we are excited about what God is doing, and we have uh, a lot to look forward to. In fact, we're going to be making announcements soon regarding when we will be gathering together again on Wednesday nights and when we'll be able to also begin our children's ministry in a safe and effective and uh, efficient way. So uh, please stay tuned to those announcements as uh, we prepare. Uh, we thank the Lord for his goodness to us, for his mighty acts, for his excellent greatness, and uh, we just give him all the praise. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Uh, we are looking tonight into the word of the Lord and uh, I want to continue, we're going to continue our, our uh, series on the miracles of Jesus. We take this from the gospel according to Luke, the seventh chapter. Uh, Luke chapter seven and beginning with verse uh, number uh, 22. This of course is the response of Jesus to the disciples of John the Baptist who came to him and asked him, are you he or should we look for another? Jesus responded and said, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, how that the lame walk, how that the lepers are cleansed, how that the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And we've spoken about each of these miracles, and we've talked about the miracle itself, and we're thankful to the Lord that he is a worker of miracles. And we talked about the spiritual element of these miracles as well. But we, tonight, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about what I think may be one of the greatest miracles that Jesus has ever performed in the life of his believers. And it comes from verse 23. It says, in addition to all of these wonderful miracles that he has performed, he says, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. The great miracle of Jesus to heal his people from their offense. To deliver us from the the great and terrible tragedy of bitterness and resentment. And so we're going to look tonight to the word of the Lord because the Lord has a special miracle for you that is internal, that has to do with emotional healing and spiritual well-being, that has to do with the ability to overcome what offense may have occurred in our life. No question that many people have dealt with offense. And there's a difference between offense coming and being offended. There's a difference. Offense is going to come, but whether you are offended by that offense is an entirely different set of circumstances. And so we want to look to the word of the Lord tonight. First, we're going to go to the gospel according to Luke, the 23rd chapter. And we're going to read from the uh, 33rd verse and verse number 34. Luke chapter 23 and verse 
33 and verse 34. This is Jesus upon Calvary's cross. And it says this, When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here we see in this setting of Calvary's cross the great amazing miracle of Jesus offering forgiveness to those who have wounded him, bruised him, chastised him, smitten him, afflicted him. The, the, one of the greatest examples of cruelty, most terrible examples of cruelty we've ever heard about or observed in history. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, they knew they were bruising him. They knew they were wounding him. They knew that they were crucifying him. So what was it that they did not know? What was Jesus referring to when he said, they know not what they do? Paul described a scenario in which the crucifixion of Christ would not have occurred if the princes of this world knew what really was going on. Because he said they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There was an ignorance on the part of those who were crucifying Christ. And I want to go further in saying that there is an ignorance in those that wound or bruise or offend us. It is a spiritual ignorance. It is a spiritual blindness. It is a deafness, if you please, of things of the Spirit. People who resort to wounding others, who resort to causing harm, those who resort to, to somehow in, causing an infraction in your spirit, they are spiritually impaired and the Lord understood this about those who were crucifying him, and this is why he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the same attitude that the church has concerning those who may cross into sin and transgression and iniquity. We understand that they are of a fallen nature, just like you and I. The Apostle Paul taught the church at Corinth that that, that there are those who are unrighteous, that there are those who are full of sin. And then he said, such were some of you, but now you are washed, now you are justified, now you are sanctified by the blood of Christ. And so it is that when we look at this matter of, of forgiveness, it comes to us as an empowerment by God to be able to forgive others because we understand they are doing it out of a fallen nature, out of a carnal nature, and it is something that they will need absolute redemption from. Jesus wanted those that were crucifying him to be forgiven because he understood it came from a very ignorant and blind place. 
Oh, that we would all have a forgiving spirit the way that Jesus demonstrated upon the cross. Now, Peter, when he heard Jesus describe the kind of death he would die, he rose up against him and said, I'll not let that happen. Not on my watch, he said. He said, essentially, over my dead body, I will rise up. I'll defend you. And Jesus said, you say that, Peter, but he said, you need to get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. As a matter of fact, when push comes to shove, you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he explained to him that he did not understand the things of God. Jesus was going to allow the crucifixion to occur. They did not, they did not exact the crucifixion without the Lord allowing it to happen. The Lord allowed it to happen. He said, no man takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. And he did that so that you and I could have salvation. He said to Peter, you do not understand the things of God. What Jesus was going to do was he was going to allow the crucifixion to occur. He was going to allow the wounding and the bruising and the chastising. He was going to allow the stripes to be applied to his back. And then he was going to make this statement that we read in Luke 23, 34, from the depth of his heart. He would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the essence of forgiveness. And Jesus demonstrated it in the eyes and the ears of all who had just wounded him. He was telling Peter, I'm going to let them take out their rage. I'm going to let them unleash their fury. And then I'm going to love them anyway. This is the miracle of God's grace. Look at what he did for you. Look at what he did for me and, and, and those who call him Lord. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his mercy or his grace. And yet, he bestows upon us forgiveness. He bestows upon us love that is everlasting, perfect love that casts out fear. Hallelujah. Jesus has done that on our behalf. He has given to us this great gift of love, this free gift of grace. And it is a beautiful thing. He didn't have to do it, but he did. Thank the Lord. And that is what we do for others. We forgive. I want to turn your attention to the book of Acts chapter 7. Before we go there, let me remind you what took place after Luke 23 and 33 and 34. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, by forgiving, Jesus, by laying down his life, Jesus, by allowing himself to be crucified, opened up the gospel of Jesus Christ to whosoever will. He fulfilled the old covenant. That wouldn't have happened without his blood being shed. That wouldn't have happened without him willingly laying down his life. But the old covenant that no man could attain unto its perfection was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in the blood of the new covenant. Hallelujah. And it ushered in an opportunity for man to truly be saved. And so this took place because of forgiveness. I want you to know the reason the enemy doesn't want you to forgive those who have wounded or bruised or chastised you is because he knows that when you forgive, it ushers in a power and a glory like nothing else can 
And he does not want that to happen. It breaks down walls when people forgive. It, it, it will turn a sinner from their way. Look what it did for you. You're serving God not out of guilt. You're serving God not out of, out of some kind of a peer pressure or manipulation. You serve God because when you were unlovable, he loved you. You serve God because while you were yet in your trespasses and sins, he died for you so that you can live. And this is what forgiveness does. Acts chapter 7, verse 51, we're going to come into a sermon that Stephen, the evangelist, the deacon, if you please, is preaching. He's preaching it to the children of Israel. And he is rebuking them. He has given them a summary of their history. And now he is coming into a critical point within the message where he just puts his finger in their face and tells them what their real obstacles are. And he says to them in verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, you might have followed the, the law for circumcision, but your heart remains uncircumcised. Your ears remain uncircumcised. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, that is Jesus, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. Hey, he was mincing no words. He was bringing a convicting message, letting them know that their fathers had murdered, had persecuted, had slain every prophet of God before them, and he said, you tell me which prophet they didn't persecute or murder or slay that showed before of the coming of the just one, the Messiah, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers. He said, just as your fathers betrayed, murdered, persecuted the prophets who prophesied the coming of the Messiah, you have prophesied, or pardon me, persecuted and murdered the Messiah himself, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, but have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. It got a hold of their spirit when Stephen preached this, but they did not respond in a positive way. They weren't standing on their feet and applauding. It cut to the heart, and they recoiled. You know, it was the truth, what he was saying. And it broke through layers of deception and revealed to them their own need for salvation. That's the kind of preaching we need in 2020. That's the kind of preaching we need today is the kind of preaching that will cut through the layers of deception that have accumulated over time. Now it will cut to the heart and their original or initial reaction will be to lash out. And the scripture says they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, hallelujah, being full of the Holy Ghost. Hey, you got to get full of the Holy Ghost and stay full of the Holy Ghost. He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. He saw, the Bible says, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Jesus standing on the right hand of God 
illustrates the power of God. It's not a, it's not a second person, a second being standing on the right hand of God. It is Jesus illustrated as the power of Almighty God. And this is what Stephen observed. We know that Jesus is not a separate being or person on the right hand of God because the Scripture teaches us, I am the Lord and beside me there is none other. This is a reference to Jesus Christ being the God manifest in human flesh, the power of God at work in the earth. And Stephen, while they are gnashing on him with their teeth, Stephen, while they are wounding him and beating him, he looks up steadfastly into heaven and he sees the heavens opened and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God and he professes that. In other words, while he's going through this severe persecution, God lets him see into the heavens. While we go through our trials of life, it's important for us to have a vision of what is to come. It is important for us to have a vision of what's going on right now in the heavenlies. That's what Stephen saw. That's what God allowed Stephen to see. And that's what empowered Stephen to endure that present crisis. And that is exactly what God will allow you to see and to experience in order to endure your present trial, whatever that may be. And I know that at any given moment, there are people struggling, fighting, enduring. Hallelujah. But God will give you the strength to endure and he'll allow you to see into the heavens and see the glory of God at work. When he said this, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. This man, Stephen, was in terrible trouble. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. They stopped their ears they cried with a loud voice. They ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, who we know is the Apostle Paul. Saul was there for the stoning of Stephen and they stoned Stephen and they called upon God, or pardon me, he, Stephen, called upon God and was saying, as the stones were pelting him, he was saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Listen to what he said. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a beautiful, forgiving spirit. This is a man who understands the heavens. This is a man who understands the things of God. Unlike Peter, before Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter did not understand the things of God. All he wanted to do was, was, was draw his sword on anybody who dare attack Jesus. And Jesus said, don't. You don't understand the things of God or how my kingdom operates. Stephen is understanding how the kingdom of God operates. 
while they're throwing stones, while they're gnashing with their teeth, while they're shouting and running upon him with one accord and violently casting him out of the city and stoning him, Stephen is, is crying with a loud voice saying, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He was crying that out as he fell asleep. Why was he crying that out? Because he understood that in the big picture of things, in the big eternal scope and scheme of things, that, that these people were not regenerated. They were sinners. They were full of ungodly ways and appetites and deeds. And he was there to preach the gospel to them. Now, I want you to notice what happened when Jesus died and, and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Similarly, Stephen, when he died, said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He literally is asking God to please expunge this act from their record so that when they stand before you in judgment, that they, this will not be brought up. He did not want these sins they were committing in that moment to be held against them in the eternal picture. He didn't want it to be the case. And he was willing to forgive them in that moment. This is an empowerment from God that helps us to forgive like this. We've held grudges for far less than this kind of an offense. We have held grudges for ways people made us feel. Just, just a, a little feeling we got after being in somebody's presence has been enough to sometimes make us kind of hold something against them. And here Stephen is truly being assaulted, truly being attacked, and saying, Lord, receive my spirit and lay not this sin to their charge. And what happened as a result? This young man, Saul, whose name we know as Paul, who was consenting unto Stephen's death, he later received a revelation of Jesus Christ and became the apostle to the Gentiles that took the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the then known world and is the reason why we are here today worshiping the Lord so freely in the beauty of God's grace. Hallelujah. That's the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness releases God to work his miracle of grace, which I think is the greatest miracle, more than blind eyes being opened, more than deaf ears being unstopped, more than lame legs being healed, is the miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of forgiveness that not only forgives us, but then empowers us to forgive others. When you forgive like Jesus forgave, it, it tears the veil in the temple. When you forgive like Jesus forgave, it opens the door of the gospel to people who otherwise would not have had access to the gospel. When you forgive like Stephen forgave, it opens the door for a young man like Saul whose mind was all messed up. He really truly believed that he was doing an act of God by consenting unto Stephen's death and, and hauling other Christians into prison and, and murdering them. But this act of forgiving in the, in the midst of such offense, it changed Saul. It did something. It planted a seed. Even if it didn't change him in the moment, it planted a seed that God was able to then cultivate and cause to flourish in a profound way. If you'll turn with me to the gospel according to Luke, 
I want to read to you what the Lord told his disciples about the matter of offense. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Okay, he's telling them, look, if you're trying to live in an offense-free world, you're, you're kidding yourself. And I know that, I know in this culture today, people are trying to find a way to, to live in a, a world where there simply will never be any offense to come their way. That is, that's, that's not a reality. Offenses will come. Because people are people, offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. So there are two realities. One, offenses will come. And two, they shouldn't. And woe unto him through whom they do come. Don't be an offender and don't be offended. Verse 2, he said, listen, it, would, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now that is a direct reference to abuse of children and abuse of minors, physical abuse and sexual abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse of children and minors. And, and, and he said, listen, if you... These people that, that are involved in abuse of children and minors, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and be cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. In other words, there's a harsh judgment from God upon that act. So he said, then he said, listen, he's dealing with this matter of offense. He said, listen, you're going to be offended. There's going to be times in your life where offense is going to come. People are going to wound you. With their words, they're going to wound you. People are going to hurt you. People are going to say things about you. One place, he, he told the disciples, he said, listen, the time is coming. They're going to haul you before councils. They're going to falsely accuse you, say all manner of evil things falsely against you. It's going to happen. Offenses will come. Notice what happens in verse number three. Take heed to yourself. If your brother trespass against thee. If your brother wounds you, offends you, rebuke him. This is biblical. You need to let your brother know if it is a, a trespass that you can't dismiss, you can't, it's bothering you, it's getting to you. You need to be able to go to your brother and say to them, look, something has happened. You've said something, you've, you, you, you've hurt me in a, a way and I need you to, to know that there's an offense here. Rebuke him. Now, we've got to be spiritually mature that, that we can both handle rebuke and that we can give a rebuke in love. Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And so there's a responsibility in this whole transaction. There's a responsibility on the part of the person who's been offended to go ahead and express that. And there's, an, there's a responsibility of the person who did the offending to repent, to stop. And, and then there's a responsibility on the part of the person who was offended to forgive. So there's this, this spiritual maturity that involves the rebuke, the repentance, and the forgiveness. Verse number four, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, 
thou shalt forgive him. Now, I've heard people say, I'll forgive you once, but if you do it the second time, why, then I just know you're not really serious. You, I, guess you'll have to, I guess you'll have to read Luke 17, because Luke 17 says, go ahead and forgive, and then if he trespasses against you, he didn't say seven times in a year or seven times total. He said, if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day return again to thee and says, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. I like that. They said unto the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. They're hearing this and they're like, whoa, this is going to have to be something you do, God. Because we don't have the faith for this. We don't know that we really can accomplish this. And, and, and so notice what, I want to just point something out. Verse number five, I'm going to read that again. The apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Verse 17, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. He starts off talking to these, these followers and they are disciples. But by the time he teaches them how to forgive and how to overcome offense, they are called apostles. They have graduated. They have been promoted. One of the reasons that your promotion isn't coming is because you are not handling offense. Offense must cease in your spirit in order for God to promote you, to graduate you into greater levels of ministry and effectiveness in his kingdom. God can't have bitter followers, resentful followers, grudge-holding followers. God is a forgiving God. Hallelujah. You know, I don't have to tell you this. You know this about yourself. I certainly know it about myself. None of us deserve to be able to worship God, serve God, preach his word, declare his gospel. None of us have a worthiness to be able to do that. And yet God, who is rich in mercy, has so loved us and so forgiven us that here we are enjoying the bounty of his kingdom. Hallelujah. What a beautiful thing. And, and so if you'll let God teach you about offenses that come and how to deal with offense, how to deal with when a brother offends you, and to continually forgive. Now when he said, if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, that reference to seven is a reference to completion and perfection. And here's what you have to understand about forgiving. Forgiving perfects a thing. Forgiving brings about completion, just as it did in the day of Jesus' crucifixion. When Jesus was crucified, and he forgave those who did the act of crucifixion, there was a centurion off in the distance who when he saw the earthquake and the sun go dark and he experienced all that he did with regard to the crucifixion, he said this, truly, truly, that's a big word, truly, this was the Son of God. He didn't believe it until he saw the grace of God at work. I'm going to tell you there are a lot of people who will switch from being an unbeliever to being a believer 
when they see the grace of God at work in your life, when you show them the same forgiveness that God showed you, and you say, I can't do that, well then pray the prayer that the apostles prayed in verse five, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to increase my faith. Let's continue. Verse number six, the Lord begins to teach them how faith works and how faith helps you to forgive. The Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this, notice this, sycamine tree. Now, before he dealt with faith removing mountains, but in verse 6 of Luke 17, he says that faith will, see, you can say unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. What he's telling them is that this offense has roots like the sycamine tree has roots. And you can't cut that thing down with a carnal chainsaw you can't just chop off some limbs. You've got to get down to the root of this thing. And the only thing that allows you to get to the root of it is if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed. You know, it's the grain of a mustard seed faith that goes into the soil and it begins to dislodge the roots by spreading out its own roots. The roots of the sycamine tree are disturbed by the roots of faith that are faithfully planted into your spirit. This is why you must plant the word of God in your heart. This is why you must hear the word and be attentive to the word and let the word speak to you because the roots of the word of God will disturb the roots of the offense. The roots of the word of God will disturb the roots of offense. You know, the roots of offense are hidden the tree of offense is what is visible. You can see the tree of offense. But you can't see the roots of offense. They're under the ground. They're under the surface. They're safe. Nobody can see it. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows why there's bitter fruit growing. Nobody knows why there's toxic attitudes. Nobody knows why there's a cynical spirit. Because the roots producing those things are well below the surface, hidden from plain sight. And so, Jesus said, you've got to use faith from God, and you've got to plant it like a seed would be planted. And the roots from that precious seed will contend with the roots of the offense. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to know that God will give you power over the offense in your life. Thank you, Jesus. And the scripture teaches us, listen, you want to do this, you want to have that kind of power. Notice what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Do you know how you fail of the grace of God? You fail of the grace of God when you receive it but don't give it. We fail of the grace of God 
when the grace of God is given so freely to us, but then it stops right there. Jesus explained that to whom much is given, much is required. He said, freely you have received, freely give. And he said, look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And if you fail of the grace of God, notice what happens. Roots of bitterness will spring up and they will trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Many good and, and powerful children of God that are, are doing well in the kingdom are defiled by roots of bitterness that spring up out of the ground and wrap themselves around this precious fruit that is yielding growth. It's like the sower that went forth to sow, and the seed fell upon good ground, and, and it brought forth good fruit. But then the seed fell on other types of ground, and, and those other types of ground were, were uh, challenged, did not grow for various reasons. And this is the truth about the Word of God. You've got to break up the fallow ground and allow the seed, which is the Word of God, to get down deep inside of you and help you to bring forth precious fruit. I'm reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21. Let's read a few verses of Scripture here. We're going to see some things about forgiveness, how forgiveness works. Then came Peter to Jesus and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Because he'd heard that whole thing about if he asks forgiveness seven times in a day, you need to forgive him. And this is a question a lot of people ask. How many times am I expected to forgive? I mean, they heard me. I've heard people say it. People say, I'll never trust them again. I'll never be able to forgive them. I'm sorry, but you, it's just not right. You just don't do that. And all of that's true in terms of a, of a logical reaction. But Jesus is operating at a higher level of love and on a higher plane of forgiveness, and he wins the spiritual battles. And his job and his goal and his mission is to save that person who did the offending. So Peter asks the question many people ask, how many times am I expected to forgive my, my brother? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Amen. In other words, unending. Some people count that. That's 490. Some people will count 490. Now, they get to 491 and, and they want to give up. Now listen, when you... When you deal with this matter of 490, it, it, there's a depth there that, that involves forever, eternality. It, it, it's, it's just you just keep forgiving because that's what God does. God is a forgiving God. So if a man sins and repents from it, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. This 
man was in trouble. He owed a debt he could not pay. That's where we are in terms of our sin. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him. And I don't mean laying hands on him to pray for him. But he laid hands on him to do a little damage if he had to. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord after that, he called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? His Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. He said, you're looking at God and his people. He said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. I'm telling you, the Lord is paying attention to who you forgive and who you don't forgive. The Lord is looking, watching who it is that you hold accountable to things God forgave you of. And we many times will take the forgiveness of God but we will not extend it to other people. The Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Notice that Acts 2.38 says, for the remission of sins, and not the remission of your sins, as we often quote it. It's, the reason that that's important to note is because it's not just your sins that are remitted at baptism in Jesus' name. But it is every sin that is associated with your life. It is blotted out. It is broken. Not just the sins you have committed, but the sins that were committed against you. Those sins also get washed away. And so this is how in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, you are to pray after this manner. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors simultaneously. While you're forgiving me my debts, I'm forgiving my debtors. It's happening at the exact same time. And that's what happens when you're baptized in Jesus' name. He's forgiving you your debts, and you are releasing those who hold, who owe you something in return. Hallelujah. That's a beautiful thing. And a lot of people don't see that and don't believe that. And so a lot of people will accept God's forgiveness when they're baptized in Jesus' name, but they don't want to extend God's forgiveness 
to someone else after they've been baptized in Jesus' name. This is the exact description of taking the name of the Lord in vain. You think you can accept God's forgiveness and not give his forgiveness to others? You've taken his name in vain. You think you can receive it, but then withhold it from other people. That's not the way that it works. He forgives you your debts, and at the very same moment, you are forgiving your debtor, your, those who are indebted to you. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. If you think being forgiven feels good, and being forgiven feels really good, it's an amazing thing to be forgiven, to feel forgiven of God. It's a beautiful thing. He forgives me, and I rejoice in that forgiveness. But if you think being forgiven feels good, you ought to try being forgiving because it's an even greater satisfaction. It's, an, it's a greater fulfillment to be forgiving of others who have trespassed against you. Yes, offenses will come, but don't be offended. Don't be offended. I, 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 I don't know how not to be offended. Then pray, Lord, increase my faith. I want to leave you with this. The word forgive is comprised of two words, for and give. And I want you to understand that's exactly what the Lord did for you that empowers you to release others from what they owe you. They can't pay you what they owe you. They hurt you. They wounded you. They took a piece of your heart. They chopped off a piece of your spirit when they wounded you with their words and their actions, their deeds. How are they going to get that back? What, what currency is there in this world that they can go gather that back up and give it to you with interest. They can't. All they can do is ask for forgiveness and repent from that deed. The scripture says that he forgives. He forgives or gives for. If you invert the word, the compound word, he gives for. The Lord gives for them. What does he give you? Peace, joy, love, hallelujah, mercy. He gives for them. And that's what he did at Calvary. He forgave or gave for. He gave for you the debt you could not pay. He gave for them the debt they could not pay. He gave for me the debt I could not pay. He forgave us. Hallelujah. When you understand that Jesus really did pay it all, and that that's not just a pretty old hymn that we like to sing, but it's the truth of the gospel, then you will be free in your spirit. And you won't be encumbered by the awful weight of holding grudges. Your back is bowed over with the grudge you've been holding for so long. Release it into the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. And the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever performed is that miracle of healing us. Hallelujah. Healing us of those deeply rooted offenses that are in our spirit and if you have never had that healing power at work in your life, I've come to tell you that God will bring about that healing power in your life if you release it to him. Could you do that right now? Could you release it to him in Jesus' name? Right where you're sitting or standing, 
wherever you may be hearing this word, could you just release it to him right now? Just, just let it flow from your soul. Let it, let it flow from your heart. Lord God, help me in the name of Jesus. As the apostles prayed, Lord, increase our faith. Help us, oh God, to have the faith that will pluck up the sycamine tree. Maybe it's not a mountain you need moved as much as it is a deeply rooted offense you need plucked up. Lord God, help us in Jesus' name to be healed of every offense. Help us in Jesus' name to be healed and set free from every broken, bitter feeling that we've had. Lord, we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you in the name of the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. And do stay tuned for further announcements concerning children's ministry and in-person midweek Bible studies. God bless you in the name of the Lord. You have a wonderful evening, and we'll see you Sunday.